As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 190 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly, and Andy, that's a boring one. Alex Wood has faced 190 batters this season. That's not the most exciting of Easter eggs, but it just gives us a segue to, let's let's just talk about, I don't know, Giants baseball. Is that something you're okay talking about today? Uh, yeah, sure. We could. I mean, that. I guess we should stick to what we know. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it is funny. You think 190 batters. Well, that's not that much. You know, it's about a quarter of a season, and that's what like all the work goes into. You know, just not that many plate appearances and not that many innings and not that many batters faced. It's uh, it seems like a long season, but when you break it down in terms of actual action that someone is preparing for, it's not that much. When I said it out loud, I kind of thought the same thing. Take Alex Cobb, for example. He's faced 164 batters and 154 of them. Something weird has gone on or something wrong has happened where it's unexpected. Like the story of Alex Cobb's season seems to be, gosh, he just can't find a a nickel of luck. And then you realize, well, he's only faced 164 batters. There's going to be still some weirdness in that sample. I just assume after some of these losses, like Alex Cobb and, and Tyler Rogers walk into the clubhouse and they just have to give each other the look now. You know, it's just, it's the look. <laughs> they don't even have to verbalize it. They don't have to say, man, that sucked. Or how did that ball get through? It's just a look at this point. And you know what? Tyler Rogers said he hopes that, uh, you know, things will turn and, and trust that things will even out. And in his uh, last outing, he got a line drive and he's like, okay. He thought, he said, he thought to himself, it's starting to even out. But of course, uh, when you give up seven earned runs in an outing, you need a few more line drives for it to even out. It probably never evens out because you always think of the bad things that went bad and not the things that went right. That's just human nature. But it is funny to think that uh, so much misfortune happened behind Alex Cobb because I kind of feel like that was Logan Webb in 2020. It seemed like every Ooh, every one of his comp. starts, the Giants just played like 
you know, hot garbage behind him. So, you know, maybe he's due for for some some better luck. Now, it would seem for the first couple of months or at least halfway through May, I was unsure what the story was going to be of the 2022 Giants. I mean, obviously, we still don't know what the full story is going to be. I feel comfortable saying that they can score runs. They'll have games where maybe they their platoon matchups don't work as well. They'll have some quiet games, but I think that's just what a baseball team does. But they score more runs per game than almost all of their peers. It's the pitching that is a concern. And I'm not even I'm saying that as an up talker because I'm not sure if it's the pitching or the defense or the luck of two of them mashing together. I'm not sure. But run prevention, let's just say, seems to be the story of the 2022 Giants so far. Yeah. And and, uh, it's obviously I think they, they just had a month that they didn't have last year. It was a month with a losing record. It was not a catastrophic month. It was a 13 and 14 record powered by the mustaches of May, which have been ritually shorn. But yeah, when you play in a division with the Dodgers and Padres, especially the Dodgers, it does seem like it's a bigger deal to not have a winning month because you kind of have to be perfect to to hang with them. And that's what the Giants were last year. And they obviously haven't been uh, to this point this year. And that's why they find themselves already, you know, five and a half games out. Thanks to the Pirates, they otherwise be eight and a half games or more. The Pirates just swept the Dodgers, and that's why you don't gamble on sports, children. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, it was the kind of month that they didn't have last year. The bullpen had over a six ERA. This is the bullpen that had the best ERA in the majors last year. Um, it, there were there were days where you know they scored seven and gave up eight, and days where they scored you know one and, and gave up two. It it just seemed like you know when when you always hear players say, "Well, we just can't seem to." Get Get on the same page when the hitting's there, the pitching isn't, vice versa. That 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 felt like a lot of Giants losses in May, and yet they only went one game under 500. As we're talking, they're sitting there 27 and 22, um, lost a series at Cincinnati, won a series at Philadelphia, ended up going 500 uh, um, in those two stops overall, and now they got four with the Marlins, who always play them tough uh, in Miami. But uh, yeah, it's not like the, the sky is falling, but certainly there's been a lot of underperformance. I will not turn this into Pirates-Dodgers chatter, even as much as it amuses me, but I was entertained when I watched those games, and it would be Tyler Beatty throwing to Tyler Heineman after Brian Reynolds had the home run, and then Chris Stratton comes in for the hold, and it was very amusing to see all these ex-Giants against the Dodgers. That series was an anomaly, but it did entertain me to no end. I was sort of half expecting like Ryan Vogel's song to come out of retirement. I mean, uh, like, Bill Madlock, what are you doing here? You know, he was a good giant at one point, wasn't he? And then he was a pirate. (laughs) He was. And, well, Bill Madlock, that's one of my favorite stories is that uh, the Giants traded him for, you know, they didn't get a good return for him as far as value because he won the MVP of the Pirates. But eventually, if you take the trade tree down, that's how they got Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper. So overall, a net positive for Giants fandom, one of the best trades ever, if you look at it that way. Yeah, Bill Madlock is one of those guys who was just a really, really good player. How many batting titles did he win? I think he won four batting titles. And that goes back to my thing. Like He maybe doesn't have the highest war, but he just must have been a really fun player to watch because, yeah, four batting titles. I just love the players that are hitting 330, 340, 350. I mean, obviously, there aren't that many of them, but that's why Tony Gwynn is so beloved and Willie McGee when he was going. Those type of players just, they have a lot of happy, fun time baseball moments. Oh, I agree. And those are the guys that I think become just reflexive Hall of Famers, even though batting average is not what it used to be. But the Derek Jeters, the Wade Boggs, the Tony Gwynns, 
the guys who are the pure hitters that very soon, I think, I hope Ichiro's a unanimous Hall of Famer. And to be honest, I was kind of hoping he'd be the first unanimous Hall of Famer. And Mariano Rivera deserved every vote he got, obviously. So did Ken Griffey Jr., even though he came up just short, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, if it hadn't been done yet, I was kind of hoping Ichiro would be the first because, gosh darn it, that'd be pretty cool. But uh, I'm with you. I have a soft spot for the pure hitters. It's why I voted for Edgar Martinez every single year he was eligible. And, uh, yeah, Bill Madlock was one of those guys. And this year, Mike Yastrzemski seems to be one of those guys. Luis Gonzalez. Hey, yeah. this guy's going to hit 340 all year. But it's it's just when a guy like that comes to the plate and gets a hit, before he gets a hit, you're thinking, this guy might get a hit. Like, it's just like you're so in- ingrained with this idea. Like, baseball man comes up and does baseball things that are fun and happy, and that's what a high batting average player is. I don't know. It's a different vibe than a guy who's grinding out walks, and every so often he'll hit a home run. I'm not saying they're lesser. It's just that experience of, I think this guy will do what he does more than other players, and you're right more often, I guess. That's why I like watching Tommy LaStella. I mean, you just feel like he's going to leave the bat in the zone long enough where if he barrels it, it might, might go crazy far. And uh, But minimum, he's going to tr- he's going to put it in play. He's got such great bat control. You know, it really does feel like he's a PGA player on the range out there. And I, honestly, I think that those guys are becoming more valuable again. I actually remembered where I was going before I derailed myself with Tyler Heineman talk. So I'm going to go back there and it was about the bullpen because this bullpen, it was a little beleaguered in May and I'd never pass up a chance to use the word beleaguered because it's just a great word. But when I look at this bullpen and I see the names and I list the names, I just don't see a lot of experimentation that can go on, a lot of mixing and matching, a lot of Farhan wizardry, or I just don't see the levers to pull other than hope these guys execute a little bit better or things get better around them, almost to a man. And it's just Jake McGee, find out what's wrong and get better. And the last two outings, he looked like that. Almost to a man, it just seems like this is the bullpen you're going to get for at least another month. I thought that the last game in Philadelphia was really indicative of a lot. And I wrote pretty much my whole story about Carlos Rodon and the decision to not have him go to a sixth inning when he found something in the fifth and the lights came on and he got nine swinging strikes off of Alec Baum and Reese Hoskins and, you know, who else did he strike out? Nick, Nick Castellanos. And it was just dominant. It's like everything came on and you think, wow, he's at 98 pitches. They used so much bullpen in an 11-inning game the day before. They're not going to have a day off tomorrow. Rodon will have an extra day before his next start. They got the bottom of the order coming up with a switch hitter and two lefties. Rodon's a lefty. Just squeeze another inning out of him. Why not? But, you know, he's a guy that was affordable to them with ace-like stuff because of his injury history. And we are in the literally the first day of June with four months of the baseball season to go. And he, you know, 98 pitches in five innings is a lot of volume. It's different than if he'd had 98 pitches in seven innings. You know, when I asked Gabe Kapler, is this one that had some gray area to it? He's like, no, absolutely not. This was easy. I didn't even have to, I didn't think there was much on the other side of the, of the ledger, to be honest. This was a very easy call to take him out. But I wonder what Bruce Bochy would have done. I think that Bruce Bochy would have been like, this guy is throwing the home <laughs> out of the ball right now, and I want more of that. You know, Not that he would have been like abusive, but this guy's competitive. He's finding his stride. Let's see what 10 more pitches can do. 
And I don't know if that's necessarily wrong. I don't think that that's an objectively, I don't think either one is wrong. I think it's just illuminating to see not only which way the Giants went, but how clear it was to them. This is, And I think I wrote that basically in the great Stanford uh, psychology experiment of a uh, 162-game season, the Giants do not eat the marshmallow. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they do not eat the marshmallow. This is not a team that eats the marshmallow. So they bring out Harlan Garcia the day before he just tied the franchise record, Joe Nathan's franchise record with 17 appearances without giving up an earned run to start the season. And what happens? A pair of two-run homers off of Harleen and the Giants lose. Uh, so, I mean, even the decision that the guy that Capital was putting in is a guy he felt great about for good reason. Uh, and it just didn't work out. And sometimes that happens. And, and that's the way they looked at the game. It wasn't, oh, no, you know, we should have maybe done it the other way. No, they're like, okay, well, that's part of the wobble of a season. A guy will get hit sometimes. And I think that's the way they're thinking about this bullpen. They're not going to push these starters and try to get more work out of them to kind of like hide or conceal um, a bullpen that hasn't pitched very well. They're like, these guys are good. They had a bad month. Doesn't have to mean they're going to have another bad month. You can probably have a debate over the theory of how to build a pitching staff in the offseason. You can talk about whether Bochi Ball is aesthetically preferable, if it's a strategically preferable to Kapler Ball, and you can talk about that stuff in the offseason. Right now, this Giants pitching staff is not built for an anachronism of a pitching staff. This whole pitching staff is built around the idea that you're not going to push Carlo Rodon. This, it's built around the idea that Alex Wood gets much worse the third time through the order. It's built around the idea that Alex Cobb isn't always the best bet to stay healthy and you don't want to push him. And they've loaded up the bullpen with relievers that they trust and that they're comfortable with and who know their role, who have a variety of looks, who are come at you with different ways to attack you. It just has to work. I think the plan is sound. The plan is almost immutable. Like it's not going to change. It just has to work better. Harlan Garcia has to miss more bats. Jake McGee has to find whatever was wrong. It seems like he has. You know, Brebria, when he's not pinpoint with his command, can get hit a little bit hard. He's been pinpoint with his command for most of the year. It just has to work. And that's what I mean by I don't see a lot of buttons to push with this. It's This is how the team is built. And you're not going to go into the trade deadline and say, well, if we just get four more relievers, that'll be different. No, this is I, this is basically the team that has to do what they need to do. Yeah, and really every single pitching decision in that Phillies series was kind of based on that. I mean, Logan Webb, they started the ninth inning with him because you know he was efficient and he had a chance to, to finish it out and, and it didn't work out, but they still won the game. You know, and then uh, Jacob Junis pitched the second game and he got literally two times through the order and they said, that's enough. And he pitched well. And, you know, he did, I think, get away with some mistakes and they kind of calibrated that a little bit. But he's a guy who has been pitching well. His slider's been effective. And uh, Evan Wiebeck of the Merck wrote a really nice story about uh, the analytics of his slider and, and a lot about Jacob Junis. That's a good one to, to read. So check that one out. But I, one other guy who I think has been was a key to them last year, very quietly, who has been getting hit a little bit, uh, is Jose Alvarez. And he had a really, really good April. I'm doing a little baseball reference, highlight the things here. And he, he gave a one run in eight games in April, 159 ERA. But then May was a struggle. I mean, he just did not pitch well in May. So getting him back on the beam is important because he's the guy they bring in mid-inning. When a, a starter maybe gets to a point in the game, whether it's pitches or a part in the lineup or whatever, 
they are like, okay, done. It's bullpen time. If there's a couple runners on base and one out or two outs, he's the guy who's often coming in, and they really trust him to throw strikes. And he's had a couple rough ones, and he's coming off a really nice one in Philadelphia. But getting him back into a consistent groove, I think, will go a long way, just like Jake McGee. I mean, you got your guy who led you in saves last year, and he's just coming off the injured list with a 9 ERA, you know, on uh, the 1st of June, basically. So to see him throw 97 again, that's a big net positive as well. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You and I have watched a combined, I don't know, five, six decades of baseball, maybe not always as someone covering a specific team, but I feel like you and I have seen in our decades of watching baseball, pitchers who are struggling in a way where you look at them and say, ah, he is different. This ain't going to work. What happened to him? Boy, I, this isn't something that can be fixed. And all, almost to a man, when I look at the high ERAs in the Giants pitching staff, in the bullpen or the rotation... It's almost like a wait and see, like, like, no, that should be fine. Almost every one of them. And I don't know if I'm just, you know, erring on the side of Farhan and, and just saying, oh, no, no, they're so smart. They'll figure it out. But almost to a man, when I look at Alex Cobb's ERA, no, no, that's not true. I think he'll be better than that. Alex Wood, he'll be better than that. Go down, you know, obviously Tyler Rogers, that was a weird inning. He should be better than that. And I'm not sure if I'm just being too complacent. There isn't a lot of panic that comes with a May that if almost any other team had that May as a pitching staff, it would be, oh, what's wrong? What are they doing? No, the Giants are still leading the the league in fewest walks per nine innings. I guess they're right behind the Dodgers. They're right there with home runs allowed. All that's wrong is they're giving up too many hits. And I don't know. I'm still thinking that that's maybe something that's going to right itself. Would you like some statistical evidence to back up what you're saying? I hate statistical evidence. I just fly <laughs> by the seat of my pants, pal. Okay, so batting average on balls in play. It's 288 league-wide right now. Guess which pitching staff has the highest BABIP right now? The highest. Are they worse than the Rockies even? No, it's actually the Rockies. And okay. I was counting on you saying the Giants, and I was going to go tisk tisk tisk. It's always going to be the Rockies. It's always the Rockies. The answer is always the Rockies because they play on the moon. It's 324. <laughs> the Rockies' BABIP is 324. Guess who's second? Why this one? I think I got an inkling. It's going to be the Giants and probably by a healthy margin. No, it's the Texas Rangers. No, I'm kidding. It is the Giants. <laughs> uh, 321. 321. So right behind the Rockies, basically. I mean, almost identical. And then you got the Nationals are 318. And this this takes a few things into account. I mean, if you have teams that don't have a lot of range defensively, a lot more hits are going to get through it. And the Giants, honestly, at a couple positions don't have a lot of range. In the outfield, anywhere they put Tommy LaStella, 
even Tyro Estrada does not have the same first step that uh, Brandon Crawford does. So, you know, they've had to play Jason Vossler and, and Wilmer Flores at third base a lot. So I, th- I think part of this is defense, but also I think a part of it's bad luck. And to your earlier points, some of this should even out. And I think that, um, you know, maybe the Giants are, have been a little bit unlucky. When I wrote about that and I, I dove into a lot of the statistics, I wanted to make sure when I presented it, I didn't want to frame it as here's a, here's a tale of woeful luck. No, I wanted to present it as this is happening. Maybe there's an explanation that is going to be favorable for the Giants. Maybe there's something deeper that when you look at their pitching staff, they just are going to give up a lot of balls in play that fall in. When you look at their defense, maybe there's something about this combination of pitching staff and specific defense that isn't a great fit. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge, look, Giants fans just watched the Phillies for three games. You saw that outfield. You saw Kyle Schwarber rumbling into the corner for baseballs, and he looked like Kyle Schwarber rumbling into the corner for baseballs. There's no mistaking that that is a rough defensive outfield. And their BABIP is lower than the Giants. It's lower by a healthy margin. And are you telling me that the Phillies have a better defense than the Giants? I really don't think so. I think the Giants don't have a great outfield defense, but I don't think they have the Phillies outfield defense. And so when you look at that 321 BABIP, there is going to be some context there that says, okay, I get the defense can have an effect on this. I get that there might be some underlying factors with Tyler Rogers inducing weird contact. At the same time, this seems a little excessive. Yeah, there's another one here, defensive efficiency. It's percentage of balls in play converted into outs. You can find it. Uh, your friends at baseballreference.com provide it. I mean, to me, that kind of sounds like BABIP. It's percentage of pl- balls in play converted into outs, but it's a little bit different. And in that one, defensive efficiency, the Rockies have the worst, 657 percentage, uh, the Nationals 667, the Giants at 668, and then the Phillies are next at 678, 676. So yeah, I mean, the Giants are just not, they're not converting as many balls in play into outs. And um, some of that, I think, I think a lot of it is defensive efficiency. And I think a lot of it is, is bad luck too. But Defense is not this team's strong suit. It wasn't supposed to be, but they've also been missing some people. I mean, the Phillies scored a run, uh, Odible Herrera, when he should have been out twice on the base paths. First time when Carlos Rodon picked him off first base, Wilmer Flores threw wide to second base, and he ended up being safe. Now, Rodon's throw wasn't super snappy, but I think Brandon Belt makes probably a better throw, and, and they get him at second base. And then, of course, Herrera's on third base after the error, and there's a ground ball right to Jason Vossler. And I, boy, I, he, he just threw home. He threw home right away when Herrera was frozen. And I mean, you got to do one of two things. You either pump fake or you just run toward the runner. Either way, you make him make a decision and you make him move in one direction or the other. And he didn't do that. And then uh, he got back to third base and then he ended up scoring on the, on the squeeze and, you know, it ended up being a one run. Loss for the Giants, um, which you can tease apart in any number of different ways. But I think that's just a really good kind of microcosm of, hey, they're not supposed to have Jason Vossler at third base. They're supposed to have Evan Longoria, but he can't play every day. He had a little bit of a, a shoulder issue. They're supposed to have Brandon Belt at first base. He wasn't there. And that, that I think uh, you know the drop-off, uh, even though they've got a lot of depth, the drop-off defensively is, is um, in some cases pretty noticeable. 
That's another thing that I just don't see a lot of levers you can push where or levers you can push levers you can pull because you need to have if you're going to have a functioning lineup, you're going to need to have Jock Peterson or Darren Ruff in a corner. You're going to need to have Mike Yastrzemski probably in center. Uh, you're going to need to have all these players where they are. And as long as you score runs, the bargain is there for you. And the Giants are still third in all of baseball. They're only one of only three teams that's scoring more than five runs per game. So that part's working. It's working in that respect. And so you just have to get the run prevention a little bit down on the other side and that bargain would work. But to your point, we're recording this on Thursday and the lineup includes, let's see, Luis Gonzalez, Donovan Walton, Jason Vossler. Uh, that's not necessarily the Giants lineup that anyone was expecting a month ago. And getting Brandon Belt back is going to help in two fronts. Uh, Lamont Wade Jr., you know, he might not be an all-world defensive player, but he's going to give you some fairly good defense out there in, in a corner outfield slot. This is a Giants team that can get better through getting healthier. Yeah, and one guy that you didn't mention is Austin Slater, and he could be the first guy they get back. And he's a terrific defensive outfielder. I mean, it's it's, it's still kind of, I say it with still that lilt of surprise in my voice because <laughs> I didn't expect that from him when he was coming up as a minor leaguer. But he's he's turned into a very, very good defensive outfielder. And certainly, he you know, he plays mostly against lefties, but, you know, he's another guy that they've been missing who's who is a plus defender. He's just a good baseball player. And I think I, I feel like this is year six of Austin Slater being on the Giants. Uh, his career on base percentage is 342. Uh, his career slugging is just a one point under 400. He has an adjusted OPS of 101. He plays good defense. He's stolen 33 bases on 36 attempts in his career. He's just a good baseball player. And I feel like he should get just a little bit more love for his longevity and being overall pretty darn good. And he's even a good guy to have in the clubhouse, too. I mean, the Stanford thing aside, I kid, <laughs> I kid, half of my house is owned by Stanford University. I can't, uh, I'll find myself on the street with my belongings on the curb. But uh, yeah, so I, the reason I mention that is because when Tyler Rogers had his awful, awful game, the seven runs, Austin Slater is one of the guys who talked to him after that game. And he said, look, you're playing blackjack and you're the house. You have the advantage. It's going to work in your way over time. The only mistake you make is by stepping away from the table. You got to just keep playing and the outcomes will turn in your favor. It's a perfect message to give the guy and uh, and a perfect message to come from a teammate. And that, that came from Austin Slater that night. And that's, there's value in that too. That's a pretty damn Stanford analogy right there. Like he's coming at it, he's coming at it hard, but he, he's exactly right. Where if anyone is looking at Tyler Rogers' ERA and going, "Wow, what happened to this guy this season?" They're doing it wrong, and I, I feel like that for a lot of the Giants pitchers. I think that baseball players understand that more today. Obviously, there's just more information. I don't feel like that would have been a message that circulated as easily in the '80s or even the '90s. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you would think, oh, it's not working. You got to change something. And that's one of the, from a coaching standpoint, I think that's been one of the biggest things to get players to buy in is, hey, we can show you the data on why this is working. And what you dealt with was just the wobble of bad results on a given day. And really to get these guys to almost see it like you're playing Texas Hold'em and you can the right play is the one that gives you the best chance of catching the right card or winning the right hand. And when you play the game that way, then you don't get too emotional about you know the failure and the game is you know there's more failure than not in this game so i think that's really really important 
but then, you know, it, it's not to say that it's all actuarial. I mean, you know, there's a lot of gut involved too. And there's a lot of, you know, like I said, the way Carlos Rodon pitched in the fifth, I think Bruce Bochy might have said, I want more of that. You know, I want another inning of that. You go with a hot hand. I think there's there's some of both. And I guess maybe gamblers do that too. You know, you, you sit at the slot machine because you think it's a hot machine or it's due or whatever. It definitely is one of those things that can help like a Brandon Belt, for example. He would go into that big slump every year, even the years where he stayed healthy. He'd have a, a, a slump that would last a, you know, a month and a half. And by the time he pulled himself out of it, there was no rescuing his overall numbers, no getting back the opportunity uh, to hit more home runs and get to like a 25 or 30 home run season. You know, he, he said, look, I don't have those slumps anymore because I don't change a whole bunch of stuff trying to chase results. I just know that they're going to come because I'm doing the right things. And that's, that's I think, uh, been something that has really dovetailed nicely with just what the strengths of this Giants coaching staff have been. We're almost out of time, so just briefly, I wanted to get your opinion on the parallels between Lamont Wade Jr. and Luis Gonzalez are very obvious. They are left-handed outfielders who came up. They were supposed to just be there for a little bit to help out. They performed so well that everyone started thinking, maybe this guy's a little bit more. They both got sat, sent down to Sacramento, even though they were hitting way better than, they, than anyone who gets sent down should be hitting. And then they come back up, and they pick up where they left off, and they hit just as well. Has Luis Gonzalez had his Lamont Way Jr. kind of uh, reappraisal where he came back up after being undeservedly sent down, and now the Giants really, really can't send him down? Is he up to stay? I don't know. I, I mean, I would like to say yes, but I think he needs to keep hitting, honestly, because, because you know, you've got Wade, you've got Yastrzemski, you've got, uh, you know, Jock Peterson, uh, you've got LaStella. You know, only one of those guys can DH. So, you know, where is Gonzalez's playing time going to be? Uh, you're already very, very left-handed. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when Belt comes back, when Slater comes back, when they get to closer to a full complement. And, and maybe, you know, they never get to that point or somebody else gets hurt. That's probably more likely going to be the case anyway, just because this is baseball. So, but, you know, I, I think when you're in Luis Gonzalez's situation, you got to keep doing it. You know, you can't, uh, you know, just uh, have a really good month and then, and then that's it, or a really good, you know, six weeks. Because you know you've you've got to, you're trying to beat out people who are more established than you. I will say that you know, he had four hits the other day. He's hitting like 340. He's just played really really inspired baseball. Got a bunt hit that was a really nice play in Philadelphia. So uh, there's a lot about his game that that I think uh, is looks like it's sustainable, and that's I think a really good sign. But uh, you know the results have to be there too. Yeah, I'm just fascinated by him because he has a history of his minor league history suggests he's closer to a prospect uh, than just some sort of waiver claim flotsam. The reason he was available is that he was hurt and the, the White Sox were trying to save some money and the Giants pounced. And now he, he's sort of looking like a, a guy again. And I just... I always wonder with guys like this when that tipping point is because there was a tipping point where Mike Yastrzemski was on the fence and then that Coors Field series happened in 2019 and uh, then he never went down again. And I feel like Gonzalez is close to that, but just he has an option. So I don't think he's there quite yet. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, like you said, it's um, we're talking about Luis Gonzalez and we're not talking about 
a lineup that had Joey Barton, Elliot Ramos in it the other day, which is what <laughs> we had in Philadelphia. And if you had sort of thought about the prospect of a, a Bart and Ramos major league lineup three years ago, you'd be like, well, they're they're hitting three, four, I'm sure, or four, <laughs> or four or five. Or maybe would Ramos hit in front of Bart? Would Bart hit in front of Ramos? No, they were hitting seventh and eighth, and Stuart Fairchild was hitting sixth. I mean, <laughs> the Giants are having a rough year when it comes to their hitting prospects, you know, whether it's Hunter Bishop, Patrick Bailey, uh, even Luis Matos uh, wasn't hitting well before he got hurt. And then you, you look at Ramos was hitting 200 with the uh, OPS of like 550 in the PCL. And then obviously we, we know all about Joey Bart and, and his strikeouts. And as of the other day, he was literally, literally three for 62 with almost 50 strikeouts on uh, accounts that get to two strikes. Any, any count that gets to two strikes uh, with a few walks mixed in there as well. But three hits in 62 at-bats, and one of them was a homer off Albert Pujols. So that's the state of the Giants' top hitting prospects right now. And so they'd better find the Luis Gonzalez's of the world because otherwise it's going to be a massive disappointment. All right, this has been episode 190 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. A little programming note, we will not be back next Monday because of logistical concerns. We will be back a week from today, next Thursday, and we hope to see you then. Thanks so much for listening. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.